Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I'm Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, our podcast, the show for people around the world who are thinking and feeling deeply about global climate change and all the other environmental issues that we can be aware of and that affect us in our personal lives and our daily lives. And uh, like we say, we're all, we're all emotions all the time. So we really try to make a place for all our different feelings and our thoughts and maybe our actions as well. And we have uh, uh, a guest today with us. Herb Simmons from Washington, D.C., and the author of A Climate Vocabulary of the Future. Yeah, so we're really, we've been chatting with with Herb, and uh, uh, we love words here at this podcast, feelings, words, concepts, and um, Herb has a whole book of incredible uh, incredible lexicon of climate, climate words, and we know this is one broad approach that people do to make sense of this big this big issue is try to get the vocabulary of it. And I personally, as a lover of words, appreciate exploring an area through its vocabulary. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that today. And you listeners can, can, can think about uh, how this is uh, landing for you. And you might also check out Herb's book as well as kind of a guide, uh, as an accessible guide to a lot of different, really interesting concepts about uh, climate change. Pana, do you want to get us started? Warmly welcome, Herb. Very glad to have, have you here. And we share a love also for crafting words. I've done that mostly in Finnish language, mm. which functions so that we often put words together. And of course, then you may also mix them a, b- a bit. And I see some similar things happening with English also in, 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 your, in your book. And uh, But uh, let us start with with sort of roots and, and history. So uh, could you share a bit about your own journey? What brought you to do this kind of creative and multifaceted work around climate issues? Well, thanks. And, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I've really enjoyed the podcast that I've listened to. Uh, I... I sort of grew up uh, in the in the era, and at least in the United States, when when public policy, when government was looked at positively. Um, some of your listeners of at a, of a younger age may feel that may be surprised to even hear that that's such an era existed. But mm-hmm. in the 1960s, with then President John F. Kennedy, uh, ask not what you can do for your country, you know what what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And as a result, I got involved in, I studied public policy and worked in state and local government for many years. And I was actually the, the manager of a, of a, a town in New Jersey uh, back in 1988 when uh, Jim Hansen, the famous, the now famous climate scientist, appeared before Congress and said, global warming is real and we have to pay attention to it. And I remember 
even back then discussing it with people in my town. What do we need to prepare for? And over the years, I continued to be involved in various ways, uh, running a small nonprofit that was a consortium of New Jersey's colleges and universities focused on climate. I had the opportunity to um, help get the county that I live in uh, right outside of Washington uh, create or adopt the first climate emergency in the United States and the second in the world in 2017 and a whole bunch of other things that I won't take the time on now. But, you know, in, in the last a few years ago, it, it struck me that the, what's maybe sort of obvi obvious to me and to some people, but it wasn't to everybody back then, was that climate affects everything. I mean, you could sort of do like a parlor game and, and just pick a, a topic or a word and say, how does climate connect to this? You know, mm -hmm. and, and sooner or later, you'd be able to figure out a connection. And so I thought, well, since climate affects everything, and, and sadly, not that we wanted to, climate being climate change, uh, that it's important for us to, to, to label uh, what's happening, both to educate people and to stimulate people, to, to uh, uh, have their emotions activated, if you will, because uh, it's so important to identify what's going on. And I plus I just always have loved uh, playing with words, mm -hmm. so I basically wrote the the first edition of the book in in 2017, uh, which is has about 400 terms of of half of which are original, and then I sort of put it aside. I didn't want to deal with words for years. You know, it was like, and I dealt with other aspects. And then two years ago, I thought, hmm, it's time for an update. And to my amazement. Uh, I thought I would, you know, add a hundred words, but I added another four or five hundred words and terms, uh, and here we are today. And I guess mm. the fact that I added so many terms, sadly, is an indication of how much uh, more pressing and and huge climate is as a problem. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So you're, um, did are you from New Jersey originally? Uh, from Philly, across the river from Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is. One 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 strand uh, to talk about a little bit is just this background because you know uh, Philadelphia, broadly New Jersey. You know here I, we were, I'm in Portland, Oregon, which is known as an environmental consciousness kind of town. But but for for whatever reason, New Jersey or Philadelphia might not necessarily be seen as environmental um, hotbeds. But that's not really true, right? You've been aware. The point I'm trying to make is that there are people aware of climate change and have been aware of climate change for many, many years in all parts of the country and all parts of the world. So you've seen climate change um, as an issue in, in local city government, state government for, for decades and decades. Well, you know, I would like to be able to say that I agree with your statement, but uh -huh. I'm not sure I can say that because uh -huh. it's mostly been a non-issue when it should have been an issue. Mm. Uh, and, and that's what I've seen is the level of, uh, of, of indifference, uh, minimization, denial, uh, you know, name your words, speaking of words. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just very briefly give you an example here in Montgomery County, Maryland, where our community uh, literally declared an emergency and set the toughest greenhouse gas emission reduction target in the country, maybe the world, of an 80% reduction countywide by 2027. And, and they have, they, it has been an important issue in the county, but nowhere near 
emergency. The distinction between another important issue like taxes are important and good schools are important, you know, at that level, as opposed to we've got to put this first because our future is in line. It hasn't happened here and I haven't seen it happen pretty much anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's both. And I, what I'm, I, I, I talk to young people a lot and they, and they, they think this issue is new, but like yourself, you, you've been living with this, um, issue for years. It was almost 30 years between Hanson and when you all yeah. did the, uh, the climate emergency. So I just, I just want to just make sure that we shout out to listeners who have been working on this for years and just honor that. That's the piece I want to honor here. Absolutely. Um, There's yeah. so many, so many people that put their hearts and souls into this issue for, as you say, for, for, for years, if, if not decades, and uh, you know it's it's been it's been uh, lonely. You know it's mm. been so you, you know you could have a whole vocabulary, and maybe you have had shows about uh, you know the the emotional uh, a price that one pays mm. when one is sort of looked at as a kind of Cassandra, or one is looked as as this doomsayer. Uh, when you know, and then you you never want to be in a position five or ten or fifteen years later saying, you know, I was right. Uh, you know, things are, we didn't need to act 10 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago, whatever. So it's, 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 it's very emotionally draining, uh, to, to, you know, to have been in that position to honor. I mean, it's critically important to honor those folks, as you suggest, and to recognize the price that many of us have paid. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. And, uh, I've been working mostly in Finland publicly with ecological emotions and especially eco-anxiety in the Finnish form, which is more like environment anxiety. And that has led to some interesting discussions with people who have been aware of ecological issues and sometimes climate issues for decades and now finding some validation because there are public discourses about the psychological toll. Of course, there is also, you know, feelings of, of honor to be had when you know that you are trying to work for for the writing so there's always a complex mix of emotions and one of the new words in my Finnish book is suojelia kiitollisuus which is quite technical it literally means gratitude about those who have participated in nature protection mm. but it, it's more of a pedagogical mm-hmm. word you know drawing at the attention that uh, it is a source of gratitude for me and I, I know for many others about those people who had to work sometimes um, in in much more difficult circumstances than now psychosocially speaking of course it's not easy still and we have in some places growing identity polarization around climate issues for for example so but anyway it's just resonating with some some of these things and does this remind you of some of the concepts in in your book well i mean uh, there are many concepts uh, in my book that that span the whole range of of you know of sort of uh, climate climate emotions uh, if you will, I mean, it, it's just maybe I can mention just a couple of the terms that I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure how how much on target they are with what you're saying, but they're sort of in the ballpark. Um, one of the things is because of the nature that that those of us who, who are involved essentially have a pretty good sense of what's going to come and maybe how bad it's going to be, but not necessarily when and how and where this level of uncertainty so I, I came up with the concept of an anti-mortem, uh, where mm-hmm. you basically 
uh, mortem being death, essentially you're in anticipation, you're sort of anticipating or analyzing what may happen and, and sort of grieving in advance for, you know, because today where I am, it's a beautiful day. It's, it's 80 degrees Fahrenheit and, you know, the world is wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's, it, there, there's a kind of hidden, you know, hit, another one is, is, is like the false climate summit for those mm -hmm. who are mountain climbers know that often in certain mm -hmm. large mountains you get up there and mm -hmm. you think you're at the summit but you're not there's another one behind it so i coined the term false climate summit that you know we've made a certain degree of progress or we've gotten through this oh my god there's another one you know where am i then going to get the you know the uh, the candy bars and the the energy bars and the emotional support to get to the next summit uh you know you know that kind of thing and another one is um what I call bifocal behavior, the idea that be, the climate almost requires the same way with with people with certain kinds of glasses to be able to look at the distance and to look at what's now at the same time. We can't take our eyes off of you know the sort of the the future thirty years from now, or else we won't achieve it. But if that's all we look at and we don't deal with the 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 opportunities and the pain and the suffering and the grief and the confusion. Uh, then we will have failed or at least not succeeded. So anyway, those are a few terms I'll just throw out. You're going to have to stop mm -hmm. me because I got a thousand mm -hmm. in the book and yeah. you only have a few minutes. <laughs> but one, you know, the, you know, those are a few that, that cover various dimensions uh, of, of, of climate and, you know, the sort of the emotional landscape. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I have to, I have to make a note about this idea of the, well, the, as a, as someone who's been a mountain climber, the idea of a false summit, I know what that is. Okay. We th I've been climbing for we've been climbing for hours like like Mount Adams and it, near where I live is a big mountain we all can see and it and it has a very notorious false summit when you're the first time climbing up there but they tell you there is but you don't believe it until you <laughs> see it um, and when you get up to this 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 precipice you you think that must be the top and then you get to the get to this and then you see a whole nother set of the mountain and a little tiny ants up on the side of the of the of the <laughs> mountain which are the other people that are far ahead of you um yes but um we love to do wordplay here but you know false climate summit is also a play on words about some of these meetings that mm -hmm. we have like the upcoming cop i think a lot of people would think that's a false summit in the sense of it's it's already sort of uh, infiltrated by fossil fuel and interests and things like that so oh i don't know how you yeah. can say that thomas the fact that it's being led by the head of the oil company <laughs> the head of of a middle eastern oil power you know oh you're much too cynical <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so humor is our friend uh, if we can if we can find humor um but you know so i'm curious a couple of um where you find your words i, I imagine you're always on the hunt there's there's some of your words are very pop cultural which I like um, like there's a, there's an entry called so Holocene um, which is a great uh, great kind of pop culture term so the idea that you know the Holocene is this traditional geological age that we've come accustomed to as humans and now that's changing because of climate change to a different geological um, regime you know in the planet that's the Holocene era that we're we're mourning the loss of. But to say something so Holocene, that means it's kind of like so yesterday, you exactly. know, it's so 90s, the, you know, it's so quaint that you're, you know, so when we make our, our summer plans and we, we think we're going to do a certain thing, 
oh, that's so Holocene that you think you're just going to make some plans and there's not going to be wildfire smoke or a flood or something like that. Or do you know where you got that term, so Holocene, from? I think that one uh, I found online somewhere, maybe Twitter. I don't know. The You know, I, I distinguish in the book, I have a, a sort of a, a special uh, a dot or mark for those terms that, as far as I know, original with me at least when mm -hmm. i do do a google search they have they didn't show up uh, as a climate term and and those that i basically are you know taking out of the the reading i do and whatever but generally i mean what i what I, most of what i've done is simply to as i'm reading if i'll read a paragraph in a book and it may not even be about climate and i'll think you know there's the author is taking a whole paragraph or a whole page to explain this concept there should be a word or a term for this. <laughs> and so that's what I'll do is sort of scribble on the side of the book and say, you know, maybe a couple different terms. And that's how I, and also when I'm, when I'm walking or I'm not a mountain climber, but walking and hiking, uh, you know, I basically, it, 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 I guess my experience is enriched by looking at the relationships between the, the plants and the animals and the birds and the sounds. Um, and then, and then who knows where creativity or even if one would be so bold as to even call what I've written creative. But, you know, it's sort of something will come to me. And like the idea of one of the terms I have is biophonic discord, um, basically meaning, and this is a tragic term or, or represents something tragic, which is that that one of the many spheres of, of um, life on the planet is the sound sphere, the sonosphere. And that is being changed dramatically, as is everything else. As you know, certain animals are are more or less prevalent in an area, um, et cetera, and plants, and 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 all the rest of the ecological changes. And so we have a kind of biophonic discord that's out there. So anyway, that you know, I don't know if that that's a great answer to your question, but uh, no, no. I guess the the simple answer is they come from everywhere and nowhere, and half the time they surprise me when they pop up in my head. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely creative in my, my my opinion and and mind. And you have already hinted at some of these, but I'd like to ask even more explicitly about. Uh, what has this project meant for you or this whole endeavor of coining these words and whether whether you had some particular aims consciously when, when do, doing the doing the book so some something about the impacts and aims is what well, I, I, I a lot of my goal and that's why I, I attempted and only the reader can tell if I succeeded I attempted to put some humor and lightness in the book at times as well but in a way, it's sort of an attempt to give a reader the opportunity to learn not just about climate change, but about the connections between all the aspects of climate and life uh, in a much more uh, digestible way than, you know, sort of picking up a book that's 400 pages and, and reading and you have to read from page one linearly to the end because the second chapter depends upon reading the first. Whereas my book, you can, you know, pick it up any place, point your finger to a term and read it and get the benefit of that without having to, you know, be disciplined about everything. So maybe it's sort of like a bite-sized effort uh, at, at providing information uh, that, 
that is not, as far as I know, not available, at least in this format in any other manner. And I, and that was a lot of the motivation for me. And the, and the other is, is pure selfishness. It's been great fun to do mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a, one of the terms is micro guilt in my book. I have a lot of micro guilt when I say that to you right now. It's like, how can I say something is great fun when we're talking about such a potentially tragic issue? And, you know, one of the things I've learned as I don't always uh, practice years ago from a therapist is the the concept of instead of but and. In other words, Mm -hmm. something could be fun and tragic, Mm -hmm. uh, fun and onerous at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So it's really been it's been great fun for me. You know, I've I wrote about half the book sitting at a Starbucks on the beach in, in South Beach in Miami Beach. Uh, in one of the most wonderful venues I could ever imagine. I was so excited there. I used to write love letters to the manager. I mean, about how great a venue they had. (laughs) um, So anyway. Yeah, thanks for expanding on that. And I can personally resonate with much of that, especially in connection to my second Finnish book about eco-emotions, which was a handbook. So it had some mm-hmm. similar ideas, you know, you can open it from any, any, any anywhere and then different types of things which are given names or little descriptions. And I ended up writing short prosaic texts in between uh, to sort of explore some aspects of, of Eco, eco emotions and uh, we've often in this podcast talked about the need to be open to both sadness and joy for example so and there's great dangers in this era because it is so difficult and so much filled with suffering that we sort of start to deny ourselves and others the possibility for joy, joy and, and la- laughter and that's not something that even the people who live in very uh, conditions filled with suffering always do quite the contrary uh, so there's something very human uh, in, in the ability also to share uh, things that produce gladness with, with others and uh, I don't want in any way to bright side uh, suffering and very dark circumstances but I really think that this idea of being open to creativity and humor and at the same time being open to very sad issues as you are also in the book i think that's highly highly crucial yeah and we we're again being lovers of words there are this this idea of creating a a um a kind of vocabulary is is done you're probably familiar you know um I'm gonna call you Hank, I think, right? Instead of Herb, I think you might go by <laughs> Hank more more casually. You know, Glenn Albrecht in Australia has done a lot of work around his own uh, lexicon and solastalgia. And um, probably if he were here, um, Glenn would, would 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 agree with 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 some of this and have his own unique take on it. But it is it is this personal. It's creative. It's a creative response. Um, and then the Bureau of Linguistic Reality and um, I don't. I've got. I'm looking at some books on my shelf, but we've got other kind of, other kind of books. And I myself have coined, you know, my own terms like climate, you know, climate hostage and and various sorts of things. Um, so there's this creative. So for the listeners, you know, there is. It is exactly as as Hank says. It's it's yes and. So we can feel this and that and that. It's the three three sixty range of emotions. Um, our mind is is primed to look at danger and threat. So we tend to focus on those first from a survival 
a standpoint, but we have to we have to work hard to to bring those other those other emotions in. And so just honoring honoring that. Um, I had a question. I mean, we've got the pop culture terms and the and the terms that you create, Hank, yourself to kind of make sense. But then there's some other words that I, I noticed you have a lot of great um, testimonials in your book, you know, from people like Kim Stanley Robinson and some people that I admire. Kim Stanley Robinson, of course, has imagined whole, you know, worlds and, and future scenarios. Um, and uh, but you have a word world climate organization. So that's the proposed organization that would be responsible for managing climate so it's almost like the world trade organization but we have a we would have a world climate organization or a carbon reserve bank so we would do you know some internet so the so the so the world bank would also you know work on this more directly but those must be those must be terms that people have been actually proposing in the real world i would assume that you've heard heard about somewhere in some cases yes in some cases no and actually in the first edition of the book i had a i had a separate section with terms that I came up with or that were existing, but that reflect policies, I mean, yeah. or actions as opposed to simply, uh, you know, describing a, an emotion or, an, or a situation. And, and so that's where I had a whole section on things like the World Trade Organization, is, as, as you say, in the Carbon Reserve Bank. Um, some of them were are original to me uh, and others, you know, are, are sort of out there. Ironically, when you said, the World Climate Organization reminds me of the World Trade Organization. There, there is an international group that was established to uh, attempt to come up with strategies to avoid overshooting the 1.5 C targets. Uh, and there, I've just been in touch with them two days ago, uh, and they're trying to um, uh, basically come up with a report and a, str- and a strategy. And the guy who is head of that head of that is the former head of the World Trade Organization, mm-hmm. just c- coincidentally. But yes, I mean, you know that that those kinds of things are from my background in, in public policy. Yes, I mean, the part of me that yes. says, "Oh, yes, here's this new entity, and here's this new organization, and here's this new group that we could create." Uh, you know, like a you know a world counseling group uh, mm-hmm. uh, where you you train uh, thousands and tens of thousands of peer counselors mm-hmm. to support each other I mean uh, you know to me the the broader um, uh, goals that I have in the fr- and the vision that I that I have and I tried to reflect it in the vision that I wrote is is that there's so many new institutional arrangements that I think uh, are, are, are are not happening that could really enrich our lives no matter what the ultimate outcome, if there is one, will be of, of the climate crisis. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. that's certainly one of them, is to have millions of people doing peer counseling with each other. Yeah, and I know I've heard people talk about that in transformational, the folks are working in transformational resilience and um, Climate Psychology Alliance, uh, people doing climate cafes. So that, right. um, so that, that that's the ang- another angle here, like, Again, thinking of writers like Kim Stanley Robinson, it's it's there's a, a aspect of futurism where we kind of just lean a bit into the future, um, near future, you know, predictions. It's not science fiction. It's really just taking existing trends and just moving them forward, or also realizing that there are things already happening that I didn't realize that I thought were going to happen in the future that already are happening. So I think there can be some pleasant surprises when we realize 
oh, these things are already happening in, in somewhere. Things are happening in Finland, for example, that in the U.S. might seem futuristic, but people, the Finns have been doing for a while. Well, um, you know, the, there's the um, book, I may, I may have attempted to accomplish too much with the book because the the scenario that I write in the book, uh, for, looking back from 2035, basically uh, shows how the world uh, can, and I think absolutely it's a, it's a it's a feasible, uh, if may, if not probable, uh, future can reverse climate change and restore a safe climate through the the careful knitting together of a lot of these institutions and ideas and concepts that aren't being given full attention by the world community. Uh, you know, that's a whole other podcast to go into mm-hmm. all that. But it, you know, I came up with a term that uh, some groups that I'm working with to activate uh, some changes at the international level are using the climate triad, which is basically currently, we have one of the terms that came up with is ERA, emission reductions alone. The current model of climate action is almost entirely focused on emission reductions and of course adaptation. But what a number of us are saying, we need to broaden that to give equal attention and weight and action to removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and most controversial, and maybe some of your listeners will, you know, turn off when I say this right now, but uh, some form of what we call direct cooling of the climate, others call geoengineering, uh, which has enormous potential and yes, can be scary to literally lower the world thermostat in a matter Mm -hmm. of months uh, and, and prevent incredible amounts of suffering. And that's mm-hmm. this 2035 scenario is sort of built around that concept. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's one, one part of, of the book, which we haven't discussed mu- much yet, is that it begins with these scenarios, which also then link to many of the words in, in the book. So that's an interesting way to provide links to some of the some of the content but also uh, I like the way that you are trying to do of course imaginative but also sort of realistic at the same time estimations of things that may go into good direction and things that seem to go to a bad direction so 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 I like the like the nuance there and a Finnish smaller scale version of inventing new words for the future was called utopedia, utopedia. So that was also about about fu- futures, not ex- just about u- utopias. But that's some something that also came to mind when when reading these scenarios that you built. So there is an element of utopia, but not not in that you know we will all live under blossoming apple trees not that kind of mm-hmm. utopia but more being able to discern things in the future that we would be important mm-hmm. and desirable yeah yeah we're coming toward the end of our time but th- yeah this is just i i i, I thought i was going to highlight a, a few key um phrases uh and, and and entries from your book hank but i couldn't stop so i've got too many highlights now so i might just you know so it's <laughs> But, you know, climate vocabulary for the future. So it's a climate vocabulary really also for the present, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I think um, for listeners who might not have time or bandwidth to read Kim Stanley Robbins' novels or or really take a course in climate science and climate um, adaptation or carbon capture or some of these neat science things, this is a great entree. 
accessible entree into these concepts and also how they fit together in, into a future future scenario. And I think, you know, what we, what we describe of the future becomes the future. So it is, is we do need to actively go into the future and create it else it happens to us. So I really appreciate Hank that you've done this and shared it with people. Um, Connor, do you want to finish us out with some like, some thoughts here? Yeah, we always try to fi finish with at least, you know, being able to look to more toward a tomorrow. Um, uh, Herb, is there any that kind of word that comes into your mind for, from your book, which is sort of related to the desire to live in? Well, if I could, I thought maybe I would just read the one uh, brief paragraph uh, that from this vision for the future that's, uh, that comes at the end um, that, that, that follows what I said earlier about uh, a vision that actually could restore a safe climate and not just avoid the worst. So this, this comes at the end of a 20-page narrative. So it may, you know, it, it has to be looked at in the larger context. But basically what I say is, as of New Year's 2035, the climate triad restoration movement was succeeding in achieving the unthinkable this century, restoring a healthy climate. To celebrate the success, revelers in 450 cities celebrated by cheering on as 450 carbon concentration clocks showed the first decline in CO2 concentrations since the Industrial Re Revolution from, you guessed it, from 451 to 450 parts per million. Restoration inspired billions to turn from social media, Kim Kardashian, fast fashion, drug despair, innovating climate battles and false fascist allures to the most exciting challenge of all, rebuilding a thriving, healthy planet by meeting the one generation climate challenge. We find ourselves finally on the back on the path back to the sweet concept of ecostasis with harmony within and between the planet's ecosystems and life. Mm -hmm. So that's that's sort of how I end this scenario. Yeah. Thanks. It's important for us to to spend time with these these visions and you do a great job. You don't sugarcoat any of the problems, but you also you don't you don't deny any of the solutions either and the possibilities. So that that's that yes and that's um, right. And I think uh, it's just the concept of the, of that we have one generation, roughly, mm -hmm. one generation where if the world comes together or mostly together uh, to do the right thing, uh, it would motivate, you know, literally hundreds of millions of young people and whatever. And uh, that's, I guess, if, that's my larger sort of mega goal, you know, is to yeah. hope that, that the words and the concepts in this book can play a tiny role in, in motivating people to get beyond, not to not to certainly acknowledge the despair and the grief and everything we we legitimately feel, but to transcend that or deal at the same time, uh, build a future that we have to do right now or it'll be too late. Mm. Well, warm thanks Herb, for joining us. It's been truly de deli delightful and I look forward to spending even more time with, with the climate vocabulary. Thank you so much. It was really uh, yeah. great to chat with you guys and you, you do a wonderful job and uh, I really feel honored to be on your program. Yeah, thanks. I'll be sharing this book with uh, some of the people that I work with and um, we'll have some show notes here that will describe Hank's book and maybe some other other um, references that Hank thinks is helpful. Um, 
So this is climatechangeandhappiness.com. You can find us um, at that address, climatechangeandhappiness.com. And um, please support us through our website or through our Patreon to keep bringing you these very interesting uh, shows and great guests. And um, Hank and Panu, you have a good rest of your days. Take care. Thanks, Thomas. Take care. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.